I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody, welcome to it. It is a live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show on this, uh, the opening of free agency in the National Hockey League. Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you. Uh, usually we are your Monday hosts of the Athletic Hockey Show, but uh, hey, everything is up in the air. Everything is fluid. We're uh, we're you know moving around, and so uh, we are with you for the next hour or so to break down, Haley, what has been it feels like we're back to free agency and the frenzied approach to it. Remember last year, there was a lot of reservation. It was a pandemic and a COVID uh, type of environment. We didn't know what was going to happen. Well, this year, the wallets have been opened up and we've seen a lot of spending here in the first three hours. Yeah, definitely. It's the uh, it's the return of the power hour. I guess it always kind of has been, but I think historically we see some of the biggest deals and biggest contracts coming in through that first hour of free agency, once the bell rings at noon Eastern. And certainly we've seen that today, uh, you know, big contract here in Calgary for Blake Coleman. I mean, it hasn't actually officially come through yet, but multiple sources have confirmed to uh, Pierre Lebrun, to Joe Smith, to myself, that he has indeed signed with the Calgary Flames. We're still waiting on the official announcement from the team. Um, so that's a big one. We saw Philip Deneau sign a big contract. There's been a ton of big money uh, defense contracts coming through uh, today as well. So uh, definitely, you know, we're in the flat cap and it seems like cap space is still the most valuable asset, especially after what happened yesterday with Marc-Andre Fleury and the Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, it's it's kind of nice selfishly from a media and just a fan of, of hockey and free agency day to see that uh, the money's flowing a little bit here. Yeah, and in the next hour or so, we're going to have a cavalcade of guests that to drop by this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, including uh, Peter Baugh does a terrific job of uh, covering the Colorado Avalanche for us. The Avs have been front and center uh, in the last 24 hours to get Gabriel Landeskog done, but then they watch their starting goalie, Philip Grubauer, go up to Seattle. So Peter Baugh will be the first one to drop by in about six or seven minutes from now. Daniel Nugent-Bowman uh, covers the Edmonton Oilers for the Athletic, and boy, Edmonton has been really, really busy, Haley. As uh, we, Why don't we chat about them just for a second year because you're talking about they get Zach Hyman that had been rumored for a while they get Cody CC uh, in for a, a, a contract and then Ethan Bear 
for Warren Fogle earlier today. And uh, it's been a pretty active day for those two teams in Alberta, including the Calgary Flames, as we mentioned. You know, Blake Coleman gets something done. But, uh, boy, the Edmonton Oilers have been active here in the last couple of days. Yeah, and the Zach Hyman contract has been something that has been all but official for for some time now. James Myrtle's been reporting for the last couple of days that, you know, this is expected to happen, a seven-year deal for Zach Hyman and the Edmonton Oilers, um, you know, re-signing their goaltender, bringing back Tyson Berry, trading for Duncan Keith, like even just going back to last week. Uh, the <laughs> Ken Holland has been pretty busy in Edmonton, and, and they've been doing, doing a lot. Um, is it enough to get them over the hump you know obviously we won't know that until we actually see this team on the ice but clearly these are win now moves we've got Connor McDavid in our prime and obviously some years that have been quite frankly wasted of Connor McDavid in his prime you've got Leon Dreisaitl so uh, Edmonton is is doing a lot we'll see if it ends up working out for them but it's been really busy uh, in Alberta, it's been really busy in Carolina. It's been pretty busy for for a lot of these teams. It's it's been a little bit quiet. At least the morning was quiet for you in Ottawa, Ian. But maybe things are picking up right when we log on to the podcast for you, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure that uh, is what. Look, Ottawa <laughs> made a significant move today. Uh, they got. Uh, I would have Evgeny Dadnov's contract, and he had two more years left at a cap head of five million, including six and a half million in real dollars for his second year. So I think a pretty good trade there. And I was kind of texting back and forth with Jesse Granger, who covers uh, the, uh, the the Gold Knights for us, and just trying to get a sense of what that deal was all about. And so Nick Holden coming back, a third round pick coming back to Ottawa. Ottawa also extends their head coach DJ Smith, and uh, in fact, DJ Smith is speaking to the media right now uh, in in. Uh, in, in light of signing a two-year contract extension. So uh, a pretty good day, I think, for the Ottawa Senators. They uh, lock up their coach and they get out of a significant contract. So we'll certainly touch on some of those elements. A little bit later in the show, Charlie O'Connor, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers, will drop by. And boy, Philadelphia has been really active here. They got involved in one of those rare one-for-one trades. Uh, Jake Voracek and Cam Atkinson. You saw Shane Gostisberg going, Ryan Ellis going. Like So you've seen a lot of things there. Uh, he will. Uh, Charlie's going to drop by and then Saad Youssef, who covers the Dallas Stars as uh, they get everything finalized. Ryan Suter picks the Dallas Stars and it looks like Braden Holtby is also headed to the Lone Star State. Were you surprised that Ryan Suter went there? I kind of thought, Haley, that maybe we would have seen Suter and Parise as a package. Like they went to Minnesota as a package. They got bought out together and I thought they were going to go to Long Island or they were going to go somewhere together and try and win a Stanley Cup. But it looks like Obviously, that's not going to be the case as Ryan Suter heads to to the Dallas Stars. Well, I think that would have been the nice narrative that we could have stuck with, you know, seeing them together um, still. I, I think, obviously, that's that's a that's a nice story and it's a nice way to package things. But I wasn't totally surprised just given the way that both were bought out and, and the kind of different places that both of them are at in their careers right now. Um, Ryan Suter is... 36 years old forgive me if that's a year or so off but he does still have quite a bit of game left in him he he projects to be still a top pair or top four defenseman by our Dom Luschician's projections um so there's a ton of value there so if, if you're a team like Dallas who's looking to shore up some of your defensive depth especially in your top four um Suter is a guy that you can go and look for um you know Parise isn't have he doesn't have the same kind of projection it's not the same kind of high trajectory um so i'm not overly shocked that they're not still a package deal just again based on um where they're both at in their careers right now um but we'll see how it all goes maybe <laughs> i don't know we'll see i but i think it's a it's a fine signing for the dallas stars well, and as the time at the time of this live recording here, we're just after three o'clock Eastern time on Wednesday. Uh, two of the biggest storylines have yet to resolve themselves, Haley. That one would be Dougie Hamilton, who I think on most people's boards was the most sought after free agent. Like when you when you looked at all the mock boards ahead of time, Dougie Hamilton's name was front and center. And a lot of people thought that uh, Dougie Hamilton would get his seven times seven or eight or whatever that contract was going to be. Dougie Hamilton was going to end up being the uh, the, the prize catcher. It hasn't happened yet, uh, but we'll see how that uh, transpires. And then the other thing would be Jack Eichel, Haley, a story that I'm sure uh, John Vogel is ready to move on from. We had him on the Monday podcast. And, uh, you know, this has been a story that has dragged out in Buffalo for weeks, if not months. And, uh, 
it feels like it, you, you know, we thought maybe Vegas was getting ready to to clear up some cap space when they traded Mark Andre Fleury to take a run at Jack Eichel, but then they uh, went ahead and used that cap space on Evgeny Dadnov and Laurent Brassois, the goaltender from Winnipeg. So it doesn't seem like they're a player. Um, do you think that in either of those cases, Dougie Hamilton or Jack Eichel, we're going to see something at some point on Wednesday, or is this going to be something that kind of kind of just moves on in the next couple of days before it resolves itself? Yeah, well, it's interesting because we we saw on the TSN broadcast, which I've been just watching since 11 a.m. Eastern, which is what you typically do on free agency day. But then you also put on our podcast for sure. Um, you know, they were talking about how Eichel's kind of like the forgotten superstar. The you know, I think fly in my head they think that the uh you know it, it seems like his camp is starting to get frustrated because here you have an elite superstar number one center who teams are taking a sniff at and saying nah i'm not going to pay that much and you know we've already heard that they're looking for the equivalent to four first round draft picks um i you know correct me if i'm wrong but seth jones went for the equivalent of three first round draft picks and and seth jones is you know he he had some good seasons he's a good player but he's not jack eichel and so the fact that there's some teams taking a sniff and saying no he's a he's a great player but we're not going to go that far it is really interesting um to see such a a big talent have a pretty soft ish market you know we saw that the minnesota wild are out um the la kings were reportedly interested they've been signing uh they signed philip Deneau. they've signed a couple of players here today do they have the cap space for Eichel anymore, so are they out? So it's going to be interesting. I think um, the Buffalo Sabers are seem to be standing pretty pat on if the deal's not right, they're not going to make it right now. So I don't think they're working on a Wednesday deadline by any means. Uh, but teams are going to start to run out of cap space if they're all just going crazy in free agency. Um, with Dougie Hamilton, um, again, I don't think there's a a hard deadline for for Dougie signing somewhere. Um, today is the big fun day, and it's the power hour, and we've had all the 60 signings or something in the first two hours today, which is pretty crazy, like millions of dollars being thrown around. But again, this is a free agency opening, not um, a deadline. So uh, there's still some time, obviously, for both of these pieces, but you obviously don't want to wait too long for the market to dry up completely and your value to go down. All right. As I mentioned, Haley, we were going to get a, a cavalcade of guests to join us in this hour or so of this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, let's bring in our first guest. I'm going to assume, assume, again, he's got speed because we put him in the leadoff spot. It's Peter Baugh. Does a great job covering the Colorado Avalanche for us. Peter, welcome to this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. How are you doing on this uh, free agency day? I am well. Thank you for having me. Hey, listen, first thing, I Haley usually brings out the Elmo on fire gift. Okay, she drops that <laughs> when chaos happens. Peter, what are the odds that the Colorado Avalanche go aggressively and get Mark Andre Fleury, and Haley can crack out the Elmo on fire gif here? Well, it would certainly be that's certainly the most fun uh, scenario of how the Colorado goalie situation gets resolved. I there are some significant roadblocks, uh, mainly that he clearly seems hesitant to play anywhere besides. Vegas and maybe Pittsburgh. We don't know. So first he would have to want to come to Colorado. So we'd, we'd have to see if that's the case. And then secondly, uh, they would have to put together a trade package to Chicago that would, uh, I guess, beat any other team's trade package. But if somehow that happens, I mean, the Avalanche need a goaltender. And if, if uh, Chicago is willing to hold on to like maybe one or 2 million of Flurry's cap hit, then that could uh, very easily be a, a fun situation and could lead to some very intense and exciting abs Golden Knights games. Well, outside of the Marc-Andre Fleury option or the, you know, the Elmo fire gift factor that I'm always going for, um, there's been a huge goalie carousel today. Um, lots of goalies flying off the board here, including Philip Rubar. Um, what can the Avalanche be looking for to fill that space if it's not – the fun and exciting Marc-Andre Fleury option. Yeah, I think you could look at someone like Darcy Kemper in Arizona uh, as a trade option. He has a cap hit of a little over $4 million, which is within the half's price range. And also he's on the last year of his contract. Arizona clearly isn't going anywhere this year, so it, it would make sense to, to – for them to move him and the abs have some, some young players, some contracts, some draft picks that they could potentially 
uh, send Arizona's way and maybe maybe pick up Kemper, who I think has had some really good seasons. He he was hurt last year, but he was playing on a not very good Arizona team. And if he's behind Colorado's defense, which is really 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 good, then maybe he's starting to put up numbers that he was a few years ago. So he's an option. Um, maybe someone like Linus Allmark uh, from Buffalo. He's an interesting case in that he's really good when he's on the ice, but he's struggled to stay healthy. And that's kind of tough to – if you're Colorado, you want someone you know you can count on if you're going to try and win a Stanley Cup. Um, so they've got they, – they're going to have some, some tough decisions. They're going to have to scour the trade market. But I think Darcy Kemper makes a lot of sense, and we'll, we'll see where they end up going. You know, what, what I think is interesting, Peter, is, look, Philip Grubauer was a Vesna Trophy finalist last year, obviously gave them some terrific goaltending, ends up going to the uh, Seattle Kraken. Can you tell our listeners and our viewers here, like, how close were they to retaining Grubauer? And was the biggest issue uh, the cap hit or was it the term? I haven't gotten super specifics on what the issue was, but I do know that they were talking – all the way up until when free agency started, and I believe after. So they had a lot of conversation, and they kept plugging away, kept plugging away, and it, it just didn't it just didn't work out. Um, I think that from the Avs perspective, they have, I think, around $9 million of cap space left. They've got two restricted free agents that they need to figure out what to do with, and Tyson Jost and Connor Timmins, both of whom will get uh, small increases, but uh, enough to make a dent on a $9 million cap hit. And then they've also got to fill out the rest of the roster. So I think that uh, maybe they couldn't go as high uh, salary-wise as Grubauer was looking for. And, uh, you know, we haven't even really gotten to fully touch on Gabriel Landeskog. It happened, uh, I guess, late last night, early this morning, depending on what time zone you're in. But he re-signs uh, eight years at $56 million contract. Just how significant is this for the Colorado Avalanche? And, um, were you always under the impression that they were going to just figure this out, Peter? I went back and forth a lot, honestly. It was not a smooth negotiating process. They they had um, – there were periods where they were pretty far apart. Um, Gabe told us at The Athletic that he, uh, he was disappointed in the way negotiations were going. So it always felt like it would have been wrong for him not to come back. Not wrong on him, but it just like would have felt off if Gabriel Landeskog was wearing – a Los Angeles Kings jersey or something next year. Um, so I think the fact that both teams definitely wanted to get it done made it feel more likely than not. But there were some tense moments there, and I think that uh, the contract is one that maybe the Avalanche will pay for in the back end. Maybe uh, an aging power forward doesn't look great in year four of an eight-year deal. But the fact of the matter is is they have a Stanley Cup window right now and Gabriel Aniskog is worth well more than $7 million in his, if he plays the way he has the last few years. And then, I, I, and again, I, I've been refreshing Twitter, so I apologize. Maybe something has happened, but uh, Brandon Sod would be the, apparently the, uh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Sod man out uh, in, uh, in Colorado. So I, I just wanted to see Haley's eyes roll. But uh, Brandon Sod, is there any scenario in which he can come back, or is that ship sailed once they got Landiscog done? Well, not to make uh, – Avalanche fans too sod, but I, I do think that it would be <laughs> I think it would be difficult to retain Brandon Sod. I, I reported today that he was going to hit the open market and that it was going to be difficult. Um, but I think the the one way to do it potentially is if you move a contract and get a cheap goalie, uh, someone like uh, Kemper, who you, who is within your price range, and then maybe you can create enough cap space. But then you're probably trading more to Arizona to create cap space for them to hang on to some Kemper's cap hit. Um, so it'll be tricky. He's a, a really, really good player. He was really important for the Avalanche um, this this year. Um, and if, if they find a way to keep him and can keep their top six together, that'll, that'll keep them pretty dangerous. But uh, it, he might be, as you said, the sod man out. All right. See, at least, Peter, you appreciate the bad puns. Haley didn't oh. like it. Uh, appreciate you dropping by, giving us a little perspective on what's going on in Denver as uh, the Avalanche have certainly been uh, front and center. Uh, thanks so much for dropping by, Peter. We look forward to your coverage on uh, on the print side of things with The Athletic here in the next uh, day or two. Thanks so much for having me. All right. There goes, do we say bye-bye to Peter Boyle? Oh, my God. Look at Haley's face. She's like, what are you doing with these puns? They're terrible. See, I just try to get I you. To, you. <laughs> I just try to get you to eye roll. That's all.
Yeah. Well, we're going to, I'm going to get a bunch of complaints now that I'm yeah. killing the chemistry and, uh, exactly. you know, I'm killing the banter and it's like, no, Ian's killing the banter because he knows I don't appreciate that. And he yeah. does it on purpose. So you're well, sabotaging me. I am. <laughs> I am. Right, listen, going for it. <laughs> uh, you cover the, uh, the Calgary flames. They've been pretty active today. In fact, it looks like Trevor Lewis, according to some, uh, reports, Trevor Lewis has signed a one-year deal with the avalanche or sorry, with the flames. But, uh, you know, the other team in Alberta has been very, very busy and let's, uh, uh bring in Daniel Nugent Bowman. Boy, I always want to say Daniel Nugent Hopkins. And I know he gets that all the time, but Daniel Nugent Bowman, uh, joins <laughs> us here on a very busy day for the Edmonton Oilers. Daniel, first of all, thanks for uh, dropping by this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm surprised you guys wanted to talk to me today. I mean, there doesn't seem to be too much going on here in Edmonton. It's all <laughs> happening. So are not busy. Yeah. <laughs> so look, let's. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but let's start with the obvious one, the one that uh, people have been talking about for several days. Uh, the Zach Hyman deal is done. Uh, you know, take us through the term and the dollar amount and – like what's the market reaction there? Because look, Zach Hyman is a guy who is viewed as a very complimentary player, but he's certainly getting paid like a top six forward. Uh, what What's the view in Edmonton on the signing of Zach Hyman to this, uh, this long-term deal? Yeah, it was perhaps the worst kept secret around the NHL. I mean, if this wasn't the most obvious uh, a signing that was going to come down today, it was certainly top, you know, two or three. I think here in Edmonton, um, you know, I think it's mostly positive. You know, you're looking at a player who, um, you, as you said, uh, Ian, you know, complimentary player, but he's the perfect complement to a guy like Connor McDavid in the sense that he can hang with him, he can go get the puck, uh, he can create space for Connor McDavid, and uh, they haven't had that type of of, of winger uh, for a long time. I mean, theoretically, that was supposed to be Milan Lucic. We all know how that turned out. Uh, but Hyman is a much better skater. Uh, I think, you know, you, you know, in the way he's been able to hang with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner in the last uh, year or two, uh, you know, I, I think he's a perfect complement to, to uh, Connor McDavid. And, um, you know, seven-year deal, the, the end of it might not be great, but we're in a five-year window really now uh, where, you know, there's five years on, on Connor McDavid's contract, only four on Leon Dreisaitl's Dreisaitl contract. The time to win in Edmonton is now, and Hyman could be a really key uh, you know, part of that, uh, even though, like, as I said, the last couple of years on a you know five point five million dollar AAV contract could be a little onerous, but but is is good short term move for the Oilers, I would say. Just moving to the blue line a little bit here, um, Edmonton has made some changes, and you did just have a story go out ten minutes ago. So I say uh, kudos to you for being so quick. I don't think Ian and I have written anything yet today. Uh, <laughs> just a shot at Ian and myself, but you know, they've lost, <laughs> you know, losing Adam Larson, Ethan bears out, uh, Cody CC in Tyson Berry stays, um, the, the blue lines kind of getting shaken up here. So what can you tell us about, uh, what the Edmonton blue line is going to look like next season? Yeah, this certainly was not the plan for the Edmonton Oilers uh, heading into free agency. Uh, they thought they could resign Adam Larson. That seemed to be where everything was heading, before the Duncan Keith trade was made. And then there, I don't think there's a specific line that you can draw uh, between the Duncan trade, uh, Keith trade, and um, uh, not being able to re-sign Adam Larson. But uh, obviously cap uh, dollars were reallocated there. Uh, and, and really when, when um, Adam Larson left, it, it just completely changed the whole thinking and the whole structure behind the defense. Um, you know, he's the type of player that takes on the, the, the thankless, uh, jobs of, you know, the, you know, the defensive roles, penalty killing, you know, those types of things that, um, you know, especially on the right side, they didn't really have anyone like that. Um, and so as a result, you know, you're seeing Cody Cece come in, uh, to be that type of replacement. Uh, I don't know if anyone would, would consider Cody Cece the per perfect replacement to, uh, to Adam Larson, but that's kind of the, the way that they've gone. And with, with, um, Larson expected to come back in the past, uh, Tyson Berry was not really anyone on their radar. Um, obviously he's, he's emerged since then and, and has since resigned and that left Ethan Bear on the, on the, um, on the outs. And I can tell you that, you know, the plan, the organizational plan was to put Ethan Bear uh, with uh, Darnell Nurse to reignite that pair from 20, uh, 19, uh that did so well. And, and obviously that is, is no longer the case. So there's been a massive shakeup here on the defense. Uh, I would say right now, probably not for the better, but uh, you know, we'll obviously we'll see if, if, uh, if I'm wrong on that or if anything does change, but um, you know, there's, there's certainly a, uh, it, it's a shakeup and, and one that I don't think too many Oilers fans are in favor of. 
Yeah, and, and I think when you think of Oilers fans, I'm sure that there's still that regret about uh, Jeff Petrie, right? Like, Jeff Petrie was there. Yeah. You had a legitimate top four guy. Is that the feeling on Ethan Bear, too? That, like, man, like, we have this guy. He's a young defenseman with the upside. Ah, why'd, we, uh, why'd we let him go? And where do you think Warren Fogle, uh, Daniel, where do you think Warren Fogle fits in here? Yes, I mean, certainly cir- different circumstances with the Petrie trade com- uh, compared to Bear. Uh, the Oilers are in much more of a, of a win-now mode uh, than they were with, with Jeff Petrie. But yeah, you, you, I think you hit it spot on, uh, Ian, that, that this is a player that did pretty well um, two years ago. Last year, his numbers weren't great, but the underlying numbers weren't half bad. And uh, I don't think they fully, you know, Ethan Bear is 24 years old and on a team-friendly contract under control, team control for, for three more years. Uh, it's a big risk to get rid of him now. And not only that, they got rid of Caleb Jones, who's in a very similar situation, but on a, on a better contract because he wasn't as established as Ethan Bear. But they got rid of him, too, in the Duncan Keith trade. I mean, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that um, that isn't too much of a you know blunder or whatnot on their part because uh, he really did not seem to fit in here in terms of the role the coaching staff gave him and whatnot. But, but uh, Ethan Bear certainly had a, an established role. Uh, and you're you're getting rid of them um, now. The trade in a vacuum, I, I'm not, you know, I don't I don't mind per se. I mean, I think Warren Fogle could be a really key part uh, of what the Oilers are trying to do here. You know, he's a, certainly a, a bottom or sorry, like a third line guy that uh, can penalty kill, has a lot of speed, uh, maybe even could play his way up the lineup. Um, but losing Ethan Bear in, in the manner that they did. Uh, has created kind of a an issue, I think, on the especially on the right side of the defense. Um, and I'm not sure if uh, Cody Cece and 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 um, uh, Tyson Berry, especially lost Adam Larson, is is necessarily the right answer. And you know, last one from me, Daniel. You know, there's been so many things that have happened in Edmonton the last little bit. Duncan Keith trade. Uh, Mike Smith was given an extension, um, but James Neal was bought out, um, put on waivers. Um, for the purpose of a buyout, how much does that relieve for the Oilers in terms of cap space? And and you had a really smart piece too, just showing it's kind of helping this team turn the page on their past mistakes and move forward with this kind of reconstructed roster. Sure, and and I think you know really well there, Haley, because of, of the um, the trade that went down between the Oilers and, and Flames with Milan Lucic going to Calgary, um, that those two players are, are forever tied. And, and I mean, basically, we're going back to the 2016, uh, June of 2016, when uh, then GM uh, Peter Shirelli uh, acquired Milan Lucic in that trade. Um, and so, the, I mean, this, this was a, certainly a, a situation where you're, you know, James, but you're kind of writing a pass wrong of a Lucic contract in the place um oh ken holland's uh, rationale for making that trade was that um he could in theory one day buy out james neal and, and that day was clearly um uh this season I, I heard some speculation about trying to make a trade for him but really i mean the buyout was always a, a something that they had in their in their back pockets so clearly um 3.8 million dollars for this year and next uh, on the books for, for just over 1.9 million uh, for the for the uh, the next four years. So that's that is a hefty ticket to pay for four years. Uh, but you know, considering what James Neal was bringing to this team, he was essentially a fourth liner. Uh, I got to the point where scratch put on waivers. It was on the taxi squad uh, for parts of the year last year. Um, he did play net front on the power play, but but really for 5.7 million wasn't you know, upholding that, that type of value with that contract. I think he could probably get somewhere around that million dollar range and be an effective player in the type of role that he had in Edmonton. But at that contract, the Oilers really needed to uh, to cut bait and, and clear some room. Well, listen, unfortunately we got to cut bait with you. Uh, listen, <laughs> appreciate the time. Uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman. Uh, listen, and again, looking forward because it's been a jam packed day for the Oilers here last uh, 24 hours or so looking forward to your analysis and coverage here uh, on the athletic uh, coming up here in the next few hours. So thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Take care. All right. There he goes. Daniel Nugent Bowman. And uh, it's uh, it's it's great to connect with him. And boy, the, the teams of the Pacific Division are certainly making some noise here. Calgary's been active. Uh, Edmonton's been active. Vancouver, Vegas, it's uh, Seattle. It's been interesting uh, that way. But why don't we shift over to 
the Eastern side of things, Haley, and uh, bring in Charlie O'Connor because in the week leading up to the draft and kind of into this, boy, Philadelphia was as busy as anybody. Ryan Ellis in, Shane Gostas bear out, Jake Voracek out, Cam Atkinson in, and uh, why don't we make a trade here? Daniel Nugent Bowman out, Charlie O'Connor in, and uh, we got to start with this. Charlie O'Connor, it's the obligatory question we ask anybody from Philadelphia. How are people feeling about the Flyers goalies right now? Well, I think they were feeling better until today when Martin Jones ended up ended up being the backup that was signed. Um, not to say that you know Martin Jones can't rebound, but the fact of the matter is, is that for the last three years, Martin Jones has not been a good goaltender. You know, he has not played well for San Jose, and he's turned himself into you know from being one of I guess maybe not like a top tier goaltender, but definitely a solid starting goaltender into a guy that's now getting a one year deal for two million dollars because he struggled so much. The Flyers clearly believe that he could be a reclamation project, you know, and they they very much wanted to get someone who could take some of the stress, some of the strain off of Carter Hart, especially after having, you know, after Carter Hart had such a poor season. He was arguably the worst starting goalie in hockey. The schedule this season is still going to be pretty compressed because of the, you know, the likely Olympic break and whatnot. So they wanted to have something of a timeshare, especially with Hart coming off of such a down year. Well, the timeshare goalie they got ended up being one of the poorest performing starting goalies in hockey over the last three years. So there's definitely some concern. Um, the Flyers obviously believe they can turn Jones around. Um, they had, they do have, you know, Kim Dillaball is their goalie coach who worked with Jones in, uh, in Los Angeles, you know, when, before Jones went to, uh, to San Jose. So there's a pre-existing relationship there and that plays into why they believe that they can fix Martin Jones, but it's a risk. And in a way it's somewhat similar to the risk they're taking, on another guy they traded for over the last week, Rasmus Ristolainen, who his results have not been great either, but they feel like in a change of scenery and a new environment that he could be better. And then kind of the same concept plays into why they wanted to get Martin Jones. I mean, I'm just going to go with a with a pretty broad one here, Charlie. I mean, the Flyers have been really active over the last couple of days. To you, what move is going to have the greatest potential impact or positive impact I should specify on the Flyers next season. I would definitely say the, uh, the trade for Ryan Ellis, you know, they, they desperately needed a replacement for Matt Niskanen. Matt Niskanen worked wonders, you know, not just with Ivan Provorov on that top pair, but also just in the locker room in general, providing real steadying presence for the blue line as a whole. He retired at the end of the 2020 playoffs. The Flyers chose not to replace him. I think they tried, but they couldn't find a player, you know, who necessarily fit that mold at the a price they were willing to pay. So they went into last season basically just trying to fill that void internally. And it, it didn't work. You know, Philip Myers it turned out not to be ready for that kind of role. They ended up having to use Justin Braun as a top pair defenseman. And Justin Braun's a solid defenseman. He's not a top pair defenseman. And really the, the, the trickle down effect of not having that clear cut partner on the top pair for Ivan Provorov, it really hurt the entire defense as a whole because everyone was forced to kind of play out of position. Well, now you get Ryan Ellis who, you know, top tier right-handed defenseman, you know, he's a top pair guy, very clearly. He's been a very good player for Nashville for years. He's a little older, he's 30, but in a way that almost is kind of what the Flyers, I think we're looking for. They were looking for an experienced presence to put next to Ivan Provorov to turn that first pair back into a strength as compared to where it was last year when it was a weakness. And again, you have, you know, a first pair that works. You have a Provorov partner in Ryan Ellis. The trickle-down effect should, in turn, help the rest of the blue line because it should help everyone else slot in much more comfortably. So the Ryan Ellis trade, to me, that was a slam dunk. They gave up uh, Myers in the deal because, obviously, Nashville wanted a young defenseman back, and they gave up Nolan Patrick as well. So it's not like, you know, Ryan Ellis necessarily came cheap, but Ryan Ellis is objectively a better defenseman than Phil Myers. So on defense, they're taking a big step forward in terms of talent and in terms of how all the pieces fit together, I think, because of that trade. You know, Charlie, what I loved is when Philadelphia engineered a rare one-for-one -one trade that was like a hockey trade. Voracek for Atkinson. It wasn't, uh, you know, all this retained money and draft picks and 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 shuffling. It was like an old-school one-for-one deal. So walk us through Philadelphia's rationale for flipping out Voracek and bringing in Cam Atkinson. Yeah, I think uh, from Philadelphia, Philadelphia's perspective, uh, they came into the season you know, knowing they were going to have to clear some space if they wanted to make some cap space, if they wanted to make the additions they wanted to make. And obviously the turn to 
the the big name, big money forwards. You know, you're not going to trade Claude Drew. He's got a new movement clause. He's your captain. Jake Voracek was the guy who they eventually turned to as the best option, both in terms of clearing out cap space and also I think just in terms of shaking things up. You know, Jake Voracek had been on the team uh, since the 2011 offseason. He's become a core member of the team, and I think there was a feeling among people in the front office that the Flyers were a bit stagnant, especially in terms of the core, the leadership core. So Jake Voracek, they, you know, Chuck Fletcher had conversations with Voracek. It ended up getting to the point where both sides kind of agreed that it's probably time for us to, to part ways to give you a, a new start somewhere else. Us, you know, sort of remake our leadership core in a sense. So they went into the offseason, I think, with the plan of moving Jake Voracek. And then it just kind of came down to what sort of deal you could get for him. You know, they, they left him unprotected in expansion. Seattle did not take him. I think there were probably talks, you know, between Seattle and the Flyers as to, you know, would Seattle be interested? Might there be a sweetener involved? Obviously, Seattle ended up pretty much doing none of those moves. So it wasn't really an option. But I think the Flyers had talks with other, other teams about Voracek. They found Columbus, who is Jake Voracek's old team. He has ties there, you know, from, from back from when he was drafted. And getting Cam Atkinson back for Jake Voracek, you know, Jake Voracek is probably a more naturally talented player than Cam Atkinson. But I think Cam Atkinson fits the needs of the Flyers at this moment in time better than Jake Voracek does. You know, Cam Atkinson is is a shoot first winger. He's a little bit more two way oriented. You know, he plays maybe a more high energy game. And then he also is that kind of leadership guy who, you know, he's he's going to be a different type of leadership guy, but he's still going to want to be part of the leadership core because that's just the type of guy that he is. So what you do is you swap out a playmaker for a shoot first guy. You swap out, you know, a guy who, you know, maybe played a little bit more on the perimeter to a guy who's going to attack the, you know, the net front a little bit more. And you swapped out, you know, one leadership style for a different leadership style. And I think that was part of the plan. You know, let's let's get different. What, what we've been doing hasn't been working. Let's get different. And Cam Atkinson is definitely different while also being a real high character guy, which is something they definitely wanted. Are the Flyers done here, Charlie, or are there some holes that they have still left to fill? You know, they very well might be done. Um, they're pretty much capped out now. You know, today they they obviously signed Martin Jones. We talked about him. They signed Nate Thompson as a depth, depth forward. Considering the fact they still have to re-sign Carter Hart, he's an RFA, and they have to re-sign Travis Sanheim, another RFA, they're pretty close to capped out. Now, are they done? They could still make trades. You know, there are still hockey trades they could make. Um, I do think, though, that if this is the roster that they finish the offseason with, I think they're generally speaking okay with that. Um, but, you know, if they decide that they want to do another hockey trade, you know, swap out a forward for a different type of forward that maybe fits the mold, more of the mold they're going for, that could be something. I think they're pretty much set on defense. I think they're pretty much set in goal. The forward core is the one place where the only real shakeup they did was the Voracek for Atkinson trade. Maybe there's another move to be made there, but I think they look at their forward core and I think they like what they see in general. Um, they, they like the depth. You know, they maybe don't. I, I I was a proponent for the Flyers that you know one thing they've lacked really since Giroux has sort of lost a step is they've lacked that dynamic offensive weapon. I think that's why they looked into Vladimir Tarasenko. You know, I, there's there's other guys out there. They, they've looked into Patrick Line in the past. I think that ship has sailed, but that was something I think they did last offseason. So I think they know that there's a void there. And if they could potentially get that guy who could supercharge their power play, add that dynamic element in some type of hockey trade, I think they'd look into it. But I do think they like the makeup of their forward core right now, in terms, especially in terms of the depth that it has. Uh, before we let you go, Charlie, quick question. I think it's like nine years in a row where the Flyers have alternated in the playoffs, out the playoffs, in the playoffs, out, something like that. Um, based on everything they've done so far, looking at the Eastern Conference and knowing it like you do, and we're going back to the old format – are the Philadelphia Flyers a playoff team next year? Well, I mean, if we go by the uh, the trend, then yes, they are because they weren't a playoff team last year. Um, I think they've got a decent chance. You know, as they definitely did a lot of restructuring. You know, whether they got more talented, I'm not sure. I think the pieces fit better together. But in truth, the big thing for the Flyers is just that if they don't get the worst goaltending in hockey again – they will probably be at least in the mix for a playoff spot. And that just kind of comes down to does Carter Hart bounce back? I'm a believer in Carter Hart. I believe that last year was a one-off down year. I believe he's going to bounce back next year. So if I believe that Carter Hart is going to bounce back next year, 
the logical next step is that therefore I must believe the Flyers are a playoff team because that's the biggest question mark they have in terms of whether they're a playoff team or not. So yeah, I would say they're a playoff team. I don't think they are a, you know, as currently constituted, I don't think they are a cup contender, but yeah, I, I think they can be a playoff team as long as Carter Hart returns to, uh, to some semblance of his past form. All right. Well, yeah, once again, it's all hinged on goaltending in Philadelphia. Where have we heard that before? Charlie O'Connor. Thanks for, uh, for this. And we look forward to your coverage in the athletic here and uh, kind of recapping what Philadelphia has done, uh, done here in the opening of free agency. You got it. Thanks for having me. All right. There goes Charlie O'Connor. And before we bring in uh, Saad Youssef, uh, Haley, we've got a little bit of news trickling in here on the free agency front. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Ryan Getzlaff has re-signed with the Anaheim Ducks one year times $4.5 million. I know he was on some board saying, could he play somewhere else? Will he come back to Canada? Is he going to stay in Anaheim? It's been like a kind of a low-key storyline, actually. You would think it would be a little bit more significant if he was actually mulling over uh, leaving the Anaheim Ducks, but uh, looks like that would have been a non-story anyways as he re-signs in Anaheim for one more year, $4.5 million. So I wonder if we're going to see something with Ryan Getzlaff where he just takes, oh my goodness, another another deal coming in here from our producer, Chris, who's keeping us up to date. Uh, but uh, Braden Point, eight years, $9.5 million with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So uh, the money keeps rolling in. It's not even just power hour anymore. It's just power money day. That was yeah. terrible. See, I'm not a pun person. I don't know what I'm talking. Ian, you figure something out to say. But uh, yeah, that's our two pieces of news before we head to Sod. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff, one year, $4.5 million, and Braden Point re-signing in Tampa, eight years, nine point five. Yeah, you know, the Lightning have been pretty good in getting those guys, Kucherov, locked up like kind of a year out. And this mm -hmm. is the time where you can start to lock up guys who are going to be free agents next year. So a tidy bit of business there done uh, by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Good news for our next guest. All of the sod puns were used when we were talking about Brandon Sod. Let's bring in Sod Youssef, who covers the Dallas Stars for us at the Athletic. And uh, the Dallas Stars have been busy. Sod, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's always nice to when I when I'm able to wake up and see my name trending on Twitter. Um, and you know, that only happens when Brandon Sod is doing something. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So hey, listen, let's let's jump into it. Um we we kind of heard some low level talks that Ryan Suter might be thinking about going to Dallas. Uh when did this sort of all come together and how does Ryan Suter fit into the Dallas Stars picture? Yeah, this was a long time coming. We, uh, I reported it uh, about a week ago, and, and really I wrote about it um, the day he got bought out from Minnesota. This was, it was a pretty natural fit in terms of what the Stars were looking for. They, were, they had a budget set for this, uh, for this position, number four defenseman coming into the offseason. It was in that three and a half to four million range. Uh, Jamie Alexiak was the preferred candidate to, to land that, but obviously he got 4.6 million um, from the Seattle Kraken. So, uh, Dallas had this open open spot, and Ryan Suter. The the surprising thing was really just the term. Um, he got four years. Uh, he's thirty six years old, so that was that's the part of hesitation uh, for a lot of people. But really, in terms of Suter himself, he fits in. He's a lefty. Miro Haskin is a lefty, but Jamie Alexiak was a lefty as well, and Miro can play on his right side pretty uh, pretty effectively. So that's not really a concern. Um, but I had I had star sources tell me as well that it's not necessarily locked in that Miro is going to play with Ryan Suter no matter what. Uh, John Klingberg's a righty. Suter Suter prefers to play on his left side, so uh, you could go forward and see something where um, Ryan Suter and Klingberg are paired together, and Miro Haskin and S.L. Lindell. Uh, but regardless of what the combination is, that top four is is in good standing right now. And the Dallas Stars. I believe they had, you know, at least on Monday, they had about $5.8 million in cap space left um, after some of these today in the last couple of days. Where does that stand and how will that impact any future holes that they have left to fill? They have zero, zero dollars of cap <laughs> okay. space left. There's the update. <laughs> Yeah, but but not so much, but but not really. So it, it's it's always been it, it's interesting because you you say five point eight million, but that five point eight million was with three goaltenders on the payroll, and that was obviously never going to be the case. So they always had, even if Jake Ottinger, their rookie goaltender or, or last season's rookie goaltender, was to play in the AHL, that still adds another million to their pool. So they had around at least six point eight million. Um, 
But but now when you look at where they are right now, uh, with zero, but like they have four goaltenders on the payroll, and it's really looking unlikely that Ben Bishop is going to be able to play this season. And if he's on LTIR, that's going to add about five million dollars for uh, for them to work with. Uh, Anton Hudobin, um, still a can- he he might play in Dallas. He could get traded. Obviously, Colorado has an opening for a goaltender. Buffalo doesn't have goaltenders, so there's going to be a market for Dallas to work with. Uh, to where Anton Hudobin goes. At the end of the day, though, Jake Ottinger could end up in the AHL um, and develop there for a year. Braden Holtby, who they just signed, could pair with Anton Hudobin. Um, I did ask Ant- Braden Holtby, just we talked to him about 30 minutes ago, and I asked him what Dallas's pitch was to him. And he said their pitch to him was to be a big part of this team. So he's probably there. Um, ben Bishop's probably not, I would say. And then it, and then it just goes to, from there if Jake is in the AHL or if uh, Anton Odoman gets traded. Uh, I need to know from that Braden Holtby press conference today, did anybody ask him about the paperwork or getting those turtles back across <laughs> the border, back to the United States? No, we didn't quite get to that point. But, I, uh, but yeah, we, we had a lot of I'm, – I'm a big fan of The Office. So my once I, uh, once I said that Braden Holtby signed, I just saw a bunch of Michael Scott uh, gifts of where are the turtles. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And so, that I guess that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering here, look, the Dallas Stars are a team that went to the Stanley Cup final. People forget they were in the Stanley Cup final uh, basically, you know, less than 12 months ago. And so I'm curious what you think, Saad, like where like where's this team fit in next year back in the Western Conference, back in their regular slotting in that division? Are they a playoff team? Are they a Stanley Cup contender? Are they a bubble team? Where do you see the Dallas Stars? I think they're. I think they're definitely a playoff team. They believe they're a Stanley Cup contender. I still think they they need a couple of pieces. They really didn't address uh, their middle six four position at all. They added a couple of um, uh, really AHL defensemen, um, and then they added Ryan Suter and Brayden Holpe, but they didn't add anything um, on the forward position. I think they're relying on some internal candidates. Uh, they have their reigning AHL Rookie of the Year, Riley Damiani. They're probably counting on him to do something. But, uh, but this is going to be a monster year for the Stars. When you talk about what the expectations are, their expectations have to be Stanley Cup final or bust because after this year, Joe Pavelski, Alexander Radulov, John Klingberg, Rick Bonus, they all come off the payroll after this year. So, um, it, it, and that's not to say that Dallas is going to be you know, completely empty after next year. They have a lot of young talent in place. But when you talk about the current championship window with the veterans that are in place right now, uh, Jamie Benn, by the way, not getting any younger by the year, Tyler Sagan as well. Um, so when you look at all these guys, it's this year is going to be huge. And I would say they're a playoff team right now, but they need to get to a point where they can be Stanley Cup contenders. And there, there's some patience involved with this as well, because if Bishop does go to LTIR, um, whether that's before the season or after, if it's after the season starts, Dallas will have $5 million to work with at the trade deadline. So there's more involved here, but uh, I would say for for them internally, they believe they're Stanley Cup contenders. And, you know, I guess last one for me, Saad, and you already talked about the defense core and, you know, any potential holes with this group. Um, how big of a loss was Jamie Alexiak to the Seattle Kraken? It's hard to contextualize that because because of who his partner is, and it's and and that's the kind of a conversation that's been in Dallas fan bases and in Dallas circles for a while. Just like you know, for the for Miro Haskinen's rookie year, um, he he played with Roman Polak, and Roman Polak looked like a pretty decent uh, top four NHL defenseman, and then Roman Polak was back for another year. So Jamie Alexiak, it's not anything to take away from what Alexiak has done. He's improved in his own right quite a bit. He earned every bit of that Seattle contract that he got. Um, but, you know, when, when you have someone like Miro Haskinen, I, I think Ryan Suter is going to fit in just fine, and I don't think there's going to be a huge drop-off from that number four defenseman spot because the number three defenseman is an elite talent. Well, terrific stuff. Saad, appreciate you dropping by, giving us a little bit more insight on uh, the signing of uh, of Ryan Suter and bringing in Braden Holtby. And uh, listen, appreciate this. Looking forward to the coverage in The Athletic here uh, coming up. And at some point, we know you're going to ask that turtle question to Braden Holtby. We know. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we 
Absolutely. Keep up the great work, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. There goes Saad Youssef. Great to have him on the live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian again with you for about another you know, 10 or 12 minutes. And we do have uh, another couple of signings here. Looks like uh, Ryan Dezingle, who uh, played last season uh, with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Ottawa Senators, has agreed to a one-year $1.1 million contract with the Arizona Coyotes. So that's a, an interesting signing there. Arizona is a, uh, a curious team. We also have some uh, – we, we want to encourage our listeners here. This is a live show. We want to be interactive with you. We got some questions and, and some things in the comment section here. In fact, uh, look at this. this. Turn this, one. One. <laughs> um, this one comes in from um, Nadraj. Anyway, says, Ian, I'm scared – for Brandstrom, and that is probably in regards to Ottawa picking up a couple of defensemen in Nick Holden and Michael Delzato, who play the left side. So when you look at Ottawa's left side and you see Thomas Shabbat and Victor Mete and Eric Brandstrom and Mike Delzato and Nick Holden, you're like, well, hold on. There's three spots and five guys. Uh, should I be worried for Brandstrom? You know what? Uh, the guy I'd be worried about is maybe Victor Mete. Victor Mete needs a new contract. Um, he's a restricted free agent. It felt like that was a slam dunk, like a, a thing that was going to happen, a foregone conclusion. And here we are in late July. That hasn't been done. So that's the domino that I'm starting to wonder about. I believe, okay, I believe that if they trade Eric Brandstrom Haley, it has to be part of some sort of splashy – aggressive move you can't trade eric brandstrom in a soft trade because he's the main piece of the return for mark stone and i know you don't necessarily want to make trades based on reputation but there is something to that in this market so to me i would be confident that eric Branson will start the season here and if they do move him i think it'll be Haley. and you're very familiar with the ottawa senators in this market i think it would be for a in a significant package right I think the the thing with that, and I've had conversations when I was on the Sens beat, and obviously you don't want to rush your prospect. Eric Brandstrom is still fairly young, but I do think that you haven't quite seen what was expected or hoped from from Eric Brandstrom, especially when you consider the fact that he was the key piece of that Mark Stone trade. And we obviously see what Mark Stone has become and his importance to the Vegas Golden Knights. And you just haven't seen the same value um, for the Ottawa Senators. And so I think the Sens have to strike a balance between being patient. Um, but it's that Dom, I think it was Dom who brought this up once. He was like, it's like a sunk cost fallacy, right? Like at what point are you just adding value because of that trade instead of just analyzing it from the way that it is? Obviously, I didn't get to see them as much as you would have this year, Ian, and, and you would probably have your finger on the pulse of his development and, and what he's projecting uh, more than me at this point now. But, you know, it's it's going to be a balance for the Sens to um, – you know that he was the Mark Stone return, but at some point you either have to take your spot on the NHL lineup and be what you were supposed to be, or you have to move on and fill your roster with players who can actually be that. Um Projections are great, um, but you can only project somebody for so long without them actually grabbing hold of that spot. But again, Eric Branson is still quite young. He still has some time. Um, the Sens aren't, you know, about to be thrown right into to contending. So there's still a bit of time there. Um, but again, I do think that there's got to be a bit of that balance um, between those two. Um, there's been lots of questions in here that we're yeah. seeing. Um, there's been a couple on... Oh, oh, here we go. This is a fun one. I was reading the comments on it. Um, from the, the Limey Grinder. The Limey Grinder. British fan of the NHL here. Trying to decide what team to follow. I've narrowed it down to four. One in each division. And he goes Flames, Jets, Sabres, Blue Jackets. Um, and it looks like this was on our live YouTube channel. And he's getting a little bit of flack for the options that he's narrowed it down to. Uh, a couple of fans have said, oh, no, I'm worried about you. Like, you uh, picked yeah. some four tough ones there. <laughs> well, I, look, I think if you're going to jump it, if you're an NHL fan but you need a new team, you got to start at the ground level, right? Like you can't just jump in and be like, you know, I'm going to cheer for Tampa. Like get out of here. We, we don't want you. So we want you to pick a team that's like kind of on, on the up and up. So, look, I'm going to take Winnipeg out of the equation. Winnipeg's a really likable team, but they're a pretty – Kind of a top 10, 12 team. I'd take them out of the mix. Columbus, um, and I see the Limey Grinder says he likes a work ethic and uh, kind of blue-collar mentality. 
you know, the Columbus Blue Jackets might be a team that are headed down that path. And they're gonna, it's going to be a couple of tough rebuilding year, years. But my question would be, why wouldn't you just start with the Seattle Kraken? No? Like, if you're starting with a brand new – you're a fandom, there's no history. There's nothing. There's nothing there. You're yeah. getting in on the ground floor. No? Yeah. Wouldn't that be the obvious choice? Yeah, and, like, it's it's going to be one of those things where if you try to talk about the Kraken, no one's going to be like, oh, yeah, well, how long have you been a fan of the Seattle Kraken? It's like, well, they've only been a lot – like, a yes. thing for a day. So uh, it's been a whole day. So you, you have a nice little out there for why'd you get in with the Kraken. Like, well, I'm new to the game. They're new to the NHL. It's uh, – perfect little marriage there but for us Ian I think we can both agree that if you want to hop on a fun bandwagon it's the Florida Panthers I blew up my entire bracket for that team yeah (laughs) so the Panthers are fun uh except when they're losing in the first round of the playoffs but they were against the Tampa Bay Lightning which brings us a nice little segue yeah to our Tampa Bay Lightning writer usually this is you Ian but I you're very good at segueing things and I, I finally did it for once but no we have Joe Smith backstage here we're gonna bring him on hey, look at this uh, perfect not busy timing. at all for you joe no, right no not at perfect all. time nothing's happening in tampa hop on a phone call uh how are you today doing well i've uh passed on the uh, blake holman beat to you over there in, in Calgary, <laughs> so you have uh you have that but yeah it's uh obviously a busy day in tampa you know it's the biggest news with brayden point signing his um eight-year extension 9.5 million annual value, which matches the highest in the team with Vasilevsky and Kucherov, uh, one year away from restricted free agency. But obviously, it's a huge deal for one of the best players in the National Hockey League, in my opinion. Yeah, and 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 the importance of getting this done now and not going through. We we went through it right. Stamkos is the great example of how it can drag on and kind of create a cloud. How important is it to get it done proactively, Joe? So next season you go to training camp and no one's asking Braden Point about you know, your next contract and, and, and are you going to get moved at the deadline? It's all out the window. No. And it's not just for brain point. It's for the organization. The salary cap crunch is going to be there forever for them. It seems like, and to have that cost certainty of knowing his raise will be $3 million next year, as opposed to knowing it could be 5 million or whatever. Uh, it gives both the player and the team uh, conscious of mind of what they can do. And the lady did this before they signed Victor heaven a year ahead of free agency in 16. They did, and Nikita Kucherov's deal a year ahead of RFA and, and Vasilevsky did. And the team really approached the players in these cases to say, hey, we want to sign you long-term. You're a big part of our future. We'll give you a fair long-term deal security. Um, and the both deals, I think, turned out really well. I mean, Kucherov and Vasilevsky at 9.5, I think, in this market, it's going to look really good in a couple of years, especially when the, when the cap goes up. And Joe, you already mentioned that you've passed on the uh, Blake Coleman beat over to me. Um, you confirmed from your sources that what Pierre Lebrun had reported already too, that he signs in Calgary as an unrestricted free agent, six years, $4.9 million. Uh, what do you think of that deal? And uh, what are the flames getting in Blake Coleman who just won two Stanley Cups uh, there in Tampa? It's a great deal for Blake. I talked to him yesterday and he was just kind of anxious and excited. You know, this is like a life-changing contract for him and his family. He has two young daughters and been playing for $1.8 million the last couple of years, which is really good money by all of our standards. But this would be his first really big contract. And um, he's a very passionate player, uh, a very great two-way player, one of their best penalty killers. Um, that line with him and Gordon, Goudreau, I don't know if they win the cup without those guys the last couple of years. And so um, you'll be able to tell in Calgary when he's playing in the last minute of games, closing out leads and uh, important moments of how, how key a role he can play. And he can score goals too, a two-time 20-goal scorer, a guy you can play in the top six if you need to, probably on second power play if you need to. Uh, but one of the best all-around people I've met in this business, and like hockey is a lot of a lot of great people. I know that, but him and his family are, are a treat to, to be around. And so to have him long-term security for him and his family and and you know he's gonna bring kind of that winning attitude and, and experience for lightning um to, to calgary you know joe i don't know if you've heard this narrative and story that the tampa lightning kind of went over the cap last year but um <laughs> i'm wondering now after the offseason they lose yanni gord in the expansion draft tyler johnson gets traded to chicago like are they out of cap uh jail kind of like in, right at the point like what's the tampa bay lightning's cap situation as we sit here right now. To quote Kucherov, what, number one BS, right? I guess. Uh, no, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, they're actually in an okay spot cap-wise now. I mean, moving Tyler Johnson last night was a big part of that uh, $5 million AAV the next three years. And so uh, they're up against it this year. You know, they they got some kind of bargain uh, signings. Zach Bogosian at 850. Um, you know, you got 
Brian Elliott, their backup goaltender at nine. Um, so like they, they're working around the edges here where they really are up against it. But the guys that they're going to try to bring in, the RFA states we need to resign, aren't going to cost them a whole lot. Ross Colton, Cal Foote, uh, Taylor Radish and such. So uh, they still have some maneuvering to do, but it's not quite, it's not cap hell as you say it, Ian. It's, you know, it's something they may have to deal with next year too. Uh, one point uh, contract kicks in, but that's when, you know, Andre Plot comes off the books, you know, um, too. So um, they've done a really good job of navigating it to the point where they, they've shed 11.5 million, I think, so far with Yanni Gord being taken and Jolly Johnson being taken. And those are two key players in their team, too. So you have to replace them with somebody. Uh, but for right now, they're not going to be um, up against it or $18 million over the cap, um, as you said, to, to start up this year. And, you know, because of a lot of those cap issues, I think we all assumed that, and I mean, even Steven Stamkos and, and many of the players even mentioned it, but we all kind of knew that that iteration of the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, we wouldn't see them next season. And we've already seen a couple of changes, as we've mentioned here. Um, what else could be next for the Tampa Bay Lightning? What other changes could be coming and maybe what holes do they have left to fill? Well, they filled a lot of their holes today, Haley. You know, they've, they've gotten, you know, their defensive depth now with Bogosian. He can help there with Cal Foot in the sixth spot. Um, you know, Bellamere, and then you have, um, you know, some Dumont got picked up too. A couple other depth signings that will help in either in Syracuse or on their, their bottom six. Um, their backup goalie has been, take, been picked up. So not really a lot of, you know, big splashes to be made today other than the Braden Point signing, of course, for them. So they don't really have a lot of roster building to do. As far as for cutting, I think the whole idea was to, to avoid having to trade a guy like Andre Pallad or Alex Kalorn. Um, they might not have to do that now um, with the way cap situated. There still might be some maneuvering to be, but then we need to make any big widespread changes. So the team is going to look different no matter what. The whole Yanni Gord line's gone. Um, you know, they lost Luke Shen, um, you know, the back of going McElhenney, but a lot of the familiar faces that you saw the last two cup runs, the points, the Kucherovs, the Vasilevskis, uh, Sorelli, Sergeyev, all those guys will still be here for potentially another run. So uh, they're still well positioned. Uh, they'll need the depth, which always gets hurt in, the, in these cup runs when you lose your depth after salary cap. Um, and each year is why it makes it so hard to repeat. But so that'll be the key factor for them going in next year in the penalty kill. But they have a good team uh, to give a chance to do it again. Yeah, and, and and if they do it, it's a three-peat. And I guess maybe we'll we'll end on this question. And look, in the history of hockey, we've had uh, the Montreal Canadiens dynasty won five in a row in the 1950s. They won four in a row in the 70s. The Islanders won four. The Oilers won five and seven. Here's my question for you, Joe. In the cap era, if the Tampa Bay Lightning can achieve a three-peat, and as you mentioned, they got all those core uh, guys, I think they would be a terrific bet to do so. Is there an argument to be made that the Tampa Bay Lightning become the greatest dynasty in hockey history because winning three Stanley Cups in the salary cap era is probably the equivalent of winning four or five in the non-cap era? It's, it's a fascinating question, and it'd be hard for me to say that right now before they won the third one. I know they're, I mean, they're the dynasty by this cap sta standards, right? You know, I don't know. Love this. I've talked to Brian Englund before about them playing against the late 70s Canadians and how it would work out. Will Fleur against Kucherov and Larry Robinson and Hedman. I would be love to see those games in different uh, styles and different equipment, but um, but yeah, I think in the modern day, uh, just two cups like the Pittsburgh Penguins did is getting close to a dynasty. But the fact the Lightning have been to uh, conference finals in five of the last seven years and they really have this run of success, uh, if they do a third one, then you're talking about uh, some of the best of all time. So, but they have long work, long a lot of work to do before that happens. It's only on what July 25th, guys. So we have some long time to go before that happens. Well, hey, uh, Joe, I, we really reached out to you right after that Braden Point news. So for you to jump out of this show, very much appreciated. Listen, thanks for doing this. And nobody who works under the athletic umbrella on the hockey side deserves more time off than Joe Smith after covering back-to-back <laughs> -back Stanley Cup championships. So hopefully we don't see or hear from you in the month of August, but thanks for doing this. Is there, is there another cottage somebody has I can go to? Like Pierre LeBron has extra cottage I can go to? Like for six weeks, I can announce on Twitter tomorrow I'm going to, to my cottage yeah. up in Lake Michigan. So Yeah, yeah and no, no jury cottage. duty this time, Joe. So you right. came right yeah, off that, that and went right into jury duty. So you need a break. Go parade to jury duty, huh? I wouldn't rather have it any other way, I guess, right? So Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Take care. All right, you too. There goes uh, Joe Smith. And yeah, nobody deserves more time off than him. Hey, he mentioned Luke Shen. Uh, we should point out as we wrap up this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, uh, Luke Shen, two years to Vancouver at about 850000 reportedly. And then uh, our Mike Russo, who has been all over this because he did talk about the idea of the Felino brothers reuniting in Minnesota with Marcus already there. But all signs seem to be pointing to uh, Nick going to Boston. So Nick Felino, who ended up last season with the Toronto Maple Leafs after going to Columbus, is going to go to another original six team. Looks like Nick Felino in, uh, in Boston, Haley. 
Yep. And uh, last one that kind of came rolling through here while we were with Joe is uh, Matthias Janmark is going to stay in Vegas uh, one year at $2 million. So just a couple of little uh, new newsworthy pieces that came through while we were talking to Joe. And, um, you know, there's still a ton of UFAs on the board, still potential trades. Jack Eichel still uh, sitting out there in Buffalo or He's probably not actually sitting in Buffalo. He's probably wherever. Uh, and then Dougie Hamilton is still an unrestricted free agent. Um, so we're going to see a couple more things come through either today uh, or the coming days, but it should uh, continue to be exciting times. Yeah, listen, and this was great. Uh, always great to connect with you in the live format, Haley. And uh, we should point out, I got this extra session with you because we're going to have to find a pinch hitter for you for the Athletic Hockey Show on Monday because, uh, well, you're going to take some well-deserved time off here from, from the podcasting side of things. And I know you got a little bit of travel here. So listen, this was great to do this. The hour flew by. And looking forward to, uh, hey, it was a busy day for the Calgary Flames. And I know uh, both of us, as soon as we uh, turn off this live stream, we're going to end up going uh, right to the keyboard here. So this is going to be a, a pretty yeah. a pretty intense afternoon for you, I'm sure. Yeah, right. Uh, talking about what the Flames have done here. I, I'm always scared on these days to start writing too soon because something could happen and everything will change. I started to do a little bit on Zadorov and then they signed Blake Coleman and it's been a little bit quiet uh, since then. And I mean, it's still not official. Um, there hasn't been a release from the team yet, so we'll see. But uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting for another shoe to drop potentially here, but I probably shouldn't wait too. All right. Well, uh, hey, listen, Haley, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, enjoy, hopefully, like I said, a little bit of downtime, and we'll we'll find a, 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 a co-host that can jump into the Athletic Hockey Show on Monday. want to thank all of our listeners who are uh, listening, either on the podcast side of things, but certainly anybody who tuned into this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show here on our uh, our live stream. Uh, thanks for everybody for putting this together. Chris Flan uh, Flannery does a terrific job as our producer. Uh, that does it for this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, and we want to remind you, if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic on the print side of things, Go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and you can get a discounted subscription to us. So thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, we'll catch you on the next edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.